Welcome to Emron's Podcast, episode number 125. This is the host, Suman Silwal. As you may have noticed that uh, Emron's podcast format changed just a little bit. Uh, since I'm heavily training, I'm taking you through the experience and then also adding a couple of other things in the audio formats that I do. Hopefully you enjoyed those kind of formats. Uh, also, we'll continue to bring the interview as I get to talk to our fellow runners and local, regional, and national guests. Uh, this episode, I talked to Bo Talley. He's a local runner here around Birmingham, uh, but he just finished Western State. Enjoy the podcast and continue listening to Emron's podcast and, and support. Please do like Marathon Runs Pays, follow follow the Instagram, and also I do have an Ultra Runs uh, Pays as well. Please do follow and continue your support. Enjoy the podcast. I would like to welcome Bo Talley to Emron's podcast. Bo, how are you doing today? Doing great. So have you recovered from Western State? Yeah, for the most part. You know, kind of a rule of thumb, I'll, I'll rest about uh, one day for every 10 miles of a long run like that. So actually today was the 10th day. Yeah, it's come along good. You know, back in days whenever I first started running, the rule of thumb was uh, one day per mile. So, so that was... <laughs> <laughs> you're out of running for quite a while <laughs> yeah i think that only applied for marathon running so you know it's a little different for ultra marathoner i guess you know as, as i've gotten older that seems to work for me i don't know you know some of these young people uh, roll out of the car and do 100 miles and they're ready to go again tomorrow but that's in the past <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely both you and i we we run Pretty much a similar circle here in around Birmingham area. Uh, we had a five showing up uh, at uh, Western State uh, from Alabama. We had a drought 2018-2019. Uh, we had a pretty big crowd. You're the one of the finishers, so congratulations for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it was definitely a bucket list checkoff for me personally. Like everyone, I had some goals going into the run. Uh, the race didn't quite go like I would have liked. It didn't get the finish that I would like. But there's not one other part of it that I would change. It was the high point of my running career so far. Definitely. Before we uh, dig, dig deep in Western State, that's where we'll talk a little bit deeper. Uh, uh, let's talk about your running, running journey. Um, you, Like I said earlier, you and I were running from pretty much similar circuit. Uh, I remember you and I were running a pinhole a couple of years ago, and there was one guy following me behind me for miles and miles, and I was suffering. And then later on, I realized it was you because you ran out of headlamp and you were just kind of <laughs> catching up my light. So so I remember that. Uh, I think it's 2015 Pinhoti. Yes. Uh, but tell us about your uh, your running journey. How did you end up at the Western State? Briefly tell us about that. A kind of a bizarre story. Uh, you know, I like most kids in the South. You know, I was active little league, high school sports, that type thing. Uh, I went to a small rural school. Track and those types of things were not even an option. Picked up. A little bit of, I got into weight training and things like that. And about 13, 14 years ago, I had a lady at work right around the first of the year. Uh, said, you know, hey, we ought to get a group at work and run the Mercedes 5K. You know, and I was doing some weight training, thought that, you know, that won't be, that won't be bad. It'll be fun. It'll be something a little bit different past the Saturday morning. Um, did it, enjoyed it. And uh, for me personally, I've, I've always been kind of a middle of the pack runner. And so I have to find some satisfaction in the competition with myself and uh, i found that in that little 5k run i thought you know i could do better than that and so i thought well i'll just include a little bit of running into my weight training and it's sort of the old proverbial the rest is history the 5k turned into the 10k the 10k into the half marathon did a marathon uh, actually it was the mercedes i came around avondale park the uh, butts group which was actually pre-Butts at that time. But uh, Kyle uh, Sticknoff and some of the others, the founders were there, and other people at that time that I did not even know. And they were hooping and hollering and having a good time. And uh, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody said, hey, would you like a beer? And I said, sure, I'll have a beer. And <laughs> he handed me a Dixie cup. And I said, can I have the whole can? And they said, sure you can. And they ran down to... Uh, the curb with me cheering and what have you and they said hey you need to get with us we need to do you know you might like trail running <laughs> and that really not knowing any of those individuals that's where it all started at that point I had only done a couple of marathons and I immediately made some connections with other trail runners 
started into the 50Ks, and the 50K led to the 50 mile, the 50 mile to the 100K, to the 100 mile. That's kind of where I am today. And uh, oddly enough, as fate would have it, uh, Kyle and uh, John Gregg, uh, two of the three founders of Butts, were were two of the people who went to uh, pace me during Western States. So kind of a strange way that everything came full circle for me. Definitely. Sound like a, you had a great journey to get to start line of uh, Western State. Uh, so to tell us about uh, your ultra ultra marathon journey. Um, seems like a, you went from marathon to ultra marathon. You do do you do mostly ultra marathon? Um, I remember, we, like I said earlier, we ran 100 mile together. Uh, how many 100 mile have you done so far? How how does the ultra world look like for you? Well, for me, uh, I only have 600 mile finishes. I don't have many DNFs, thank goodness, uh, but I did drop at Bighorn, uh, and so that's that's the only hundred that I've dropped in. Um, I'm trying to do a couple of hundreds per year, and you know, I mentioned earlier that this was a bucket list checkoff. I, I personally have three bucket list runs, uh, and there's a mixture of road and, and trail. I want to do Boston. Uh, I do more training on the road for pure convenience. My work schedule has me at work at 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I have a lot of other vices, hunting and fishing and things I like to do outside, so I don't really want to spend every weekend with a long run. So I do more road running, so I really I want to do Boston. This is in no particular order, but I want to do Boston. I want to do Western States, now checked off. And I'm like every other hardcore, long-distance, ultra person. I'd love to do hard rock. I don't know if that's reality or not. It seems I only know of one individual from the area that's ever even had a chance to run it. So in my hundreds, I try to choose those qualifiers that will at least keep me in the mix or in the lottery for Western states and and, uh, hard rock. You know, other than that, I'll, I'll just try to pick something that's Scenic and uh, maybe my wife does like to run, but nothing, to the, not the long stuff. So we'll try to make runcations out of some of these longer events, uh, something that she can enjoy as well. Definitely. Uh, do you? How far do you have? Have you traveled? I mean, you just came from California, but but for your races, uh, do you try to go uh, nationally, internationally? Uh, well, what do you? What kind of run do you do? I've not ran internationally before. I, I have ran, but just goofing around internationally. But uh, most of the, uh, you know, Pinoti. I've been to Wyoming, Colorado, Washington State, uh, in that area. Again, for me, as a, I try to be a solid middle of the pack and, a, and an upper age group runner, uh, that I try to pick something that I think I'm really going to enjoy and not just be a chore to get that qualifier for the lottery, various lotteries that there may be. You know, more and more of the, I'll call them better runs, are going to a lottery. It seems like the more popular that the runs get, that they uh, are starting to see more and more of them go to a lottery. So you really have to start paying attention to the to the lottery list. Now, Western states, they do provide a list of runs. It's listed on their website that uh, you have to run one of those events. You can't just pick any 100 that you choose. You have to run one of those to qualify to get into the lottery. Definitely. Uh, Pinhody here locally is a uh, Western state qualifier. Yes, it is. You know, and I ran into quite a few people as we're talking on the trail from all over the country who, when they would hear that, you know, we'd ask you know, each other, where are you from, and chit-chat. When I would say Alabama, there were more than a few that said, oh, yeah, I've come down and ran Pinhody. Um, they really enjoyed it. They uh, respect the run, and uh, so you know we have a good we have a good representation in that in that hundred mile world with Pinoti. Definitely, yeah. But, uh, talking about uh, running a hundred miler, I'm I'm limited to one hundred miler a year now. Family has. <laughs> restriction and the amount of suffering I've, I've gone through the last couple of hundred miles, but last few actually now. So apparently every hundred mile I run becoming a battle. So so talking about that, how was your hundred mile look like? You know, have you, you know, you talked about AIDS a little bit, but but how was your hundred mile as you have started since? Uh, when, when did you do your first hundred? I don't know the specific year, but probably six or seven years ago. Hmm. Um, you know, I, the first one that I did was Thunder Rock, which 
is not even uh, there's discussion of it coming back i think it ran two years or three there's some permitting issues and i don't know some conflict in management and what have you but uh, i think it's a run that they're trying to get to come back but yeah that was the first one that i did and then uh uh, Pinoti was the second one that I had done. Uh, you know what I've done in my, you know, this kind of sounds strange as an as an older runner. I'm I'm 57 by the way. The older that I get, the smarter that I get, the a little more savvy that I get. I begin to figure a few things out. Although uh, certainly I continue to make mistakes that I learn from, but uh, I've continued to get faster uh, and become a better runner, particularly at the at the lesser distances than the 100. Uh, but uh, even even at the 100 distance, I, I have found that uh, if I run more, I run better at those distances. If I, if I had the time, I believe, to, to really log twice the miles, I believe I would be significantly better. And I pretty much developed a little regimen of weight training and things like that that work for me. I don't have any ailments. I rarely have any injuries, and uh, I'm knocking on the kitchen table as we speak. And it's been good for me. I, I think that, in fact, I, I have to the sitting here on the table. I've been working on the last couple of days uh, looking at next year already and trying to maybe squeak in three or four 100s next year just to see will my body respond to doing the longer distances. Would it get used to doing that? Yeah. So you mentioned about that. I mean, you know, training and uh, the way you have done doing. Um, I mean, it's not a guarantee. So as 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 I can tell you, and I was uh, I trained really hard for Lake Martin, and the result didn't show that amount of training I put in. So once you line up for a hundred mile, um, just for listeners, if you have never run a hundred, that's that's one thing for sure. You never guarantee how you were going to perform. So many things can happen. So running a hundred. Yeah, that's absolutely. You know, I trained because this was a bucket list, and you know, and we the, the lottery is in the, the the late part of the year, the late November, first of December, I believe. And so you know well in advance, six or seven months in advance, uh, that the race is coming, that you're in. And so I ate better than I've ever eaten. I trained harder than I've ever trained. And uh, I was, uh, you know, confident of a much faster race than I ended up with. And even had a plan B that, hey, if the stars lined up at uh, 55 or 62 miles, I was going to make a run at a sub 24. Uh, Of course, the weather was great this year. It was cooler than normal. But we had about, uh, we had snow for the first eight of the for eight of the first 10 miles uh i'm talking deep snow snow that you know people were falling sliding around and, hmm. uh there were a couple of sections that i just sat on my rear end and slid down 20 or 30 feet down a slope just to get to dirt and run so you know that slowed me down uh, and i couldn't get my ipod to to sync up and so you know i'm frustrated and tinkering with that all those little things that you think you have all worked out to just Sometimes it just, you know, just doesn't work out. <laughs> definitely. That's part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's that definitely part of it. And um, I've gone through it too many times now. So let's, uh, since you brought it up and we we kind of headed that way anyway, uh, let's talk about the Western State. Um, so this is uh, 2019 Western State. Uh, tell us about how did you qualify for that one? Let's start from there. Uh, well, my qualifying race, I used the Yeti 100, uh, the, my first and only sub-24 hour 100. It was a run in Abingdon, Virginia, put on by the Yeti trail runners out of uh, out of Georgia, right outside of Atlanta, and uh, used that as my qualifier. I got in the lottery. I had five years' worth of uh, tickets to get in, and for those that don't know, there's a multiplier. First year's one ticket, second year's two tickets, third year's four tickets, fourth year's, you know, do the math. It just keeps doubling. And so I had five years of tickets in. Uh, we had a group. We, we've been trying to do this for the past few years. That uh, We'll just get a group of people, anybody that wants to get together, bring your laptops, bring your iPad, iPhone, whatever, and uh, we'll pull it up on, online and watch the lottery and see if anyone from Alabama and more specifically Birmingham, if we get in. So this year we were at uh, back 40. Uh, we've done it at Cahaba. 
Uh, we've done it at uh, Ghost Train. But uh, this year it was at Back 40. And uh, we probably had, I don't know, 15 or 20 people maybe there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all Most were in the lottery. Some were not in the lottery, but just wanted to hang out with their friends. And, uh, you know, I don't know exactly the point. I, I want to say that I was, say, 37th or so person that was drawn. I'd actually got up to get another beer. I didn't even hear it. Someone says, hey, you're in, you're in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the beers were flowing and, uh, you know, it was exciting. And I thought, well, wow, you know, I'm, I'm in this quick. It's kind of surreal. Really didn't sink in. I, I didn't know what to say. You know, all these years you you don't get in, you don't get in, you don't get in. You just think you're not going to get in, but it's just a good reason to go have. It's kind of like a Super Bowl party. Mm-hmm. It's good, you know, a good reason to eat some hot wings and pizza. And, uh, you know, it was exciting. It was kind of disappointing for your friends when you see that they didn't get in and, you know, they wanted to be, you know, in that mix. Uh, I will say, having said that, that we have quite a few this year uh, people that are are on up into the 32-plus number of tickets. So I think that this year we'll have another multiple group of people that will get into the run. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. But – yeah, so I get in the lottery. I train harder than I've ever trained. My uh, wife, Shelly, was my crew chief. And, and I had, uh, let me back up and say this. this you know, I just can't uh, say enough about the, the friendships and things that have come about from running. You know, that day that I ran around by Avondale Park, not knowing any of those people that were there and sharing a cold beer down to the corner of the block. You know, two of those guys end up going. That I got, I got drawn that day at uh, at uh, back forty in the lottery. And before I can even say anything, they say to me, "Hey, we're going to Western States." Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, "Hey, you know, uh, I don't know that I can pay everybody's way to get to Western States." And they're like, "No, we're going. We're going to be there, and we're we're going to do whatever we have to do to get you through this." And that's exactly what they did. Uh, just incredible friendships that would have never happened had I not gotten involved with butts in particular, but trail running in general. So anyway, I jump ahead. So we, uh, you know, start lining up immediately all our accommodations, and my wife and I flew out a couple of days early, made a little couple of day trip through Yosemite, took it easy, no crazy, crazy hikes or anything like that, but did a little sightseeing. And then uh, Kyle and John Gregg and uh, Michael Atkins, they were the three that uh, wanted to go and help me. Uh, we picked them up at the Reno airport the next day. We headed over to Squaw Valley. Uh, I had uh, rented a uh, little chalet there that was, you know, totally i can't say that i was so smart to do this but it just worked out we were about 100 yards from the start line and so literally i walked to the sign-in uh, session where you go in and they get all your info take your picture uh, you can do a little shopping for western states apparel uh, you get your swag bag and your shirts and all the things that you you pick up and, uh, and then you go to the expo which well, it's just, I, I don't know how, how you feel about these things, but, you know, you got you go to these trail runs, and they're great, and they're wonderful, and oftentimes they're in rural areas, and you go and, you know, you get your uh, socks that don't fit from the, the local running store. They brought all smalls and extra larges, and you get your 50 cents off at the Dollar General coupon and maybe some free granola from Publix or something, and, you know, you're ready to go. Uh, this was an expo. There's Sunto, Cliff, Goo, Ultra, Garmin, all hardcore running with real people, real reps, some name runners that are represented by those people there, giving away their hats, giving away their glasses, giving away their things that you normally would have to pay for, all the cliff and goo and squirrel nut butter that you could ever want uh all that i mean you could just load your bag down with it <laughs> everybody <laughs> so serious everybody's having a great time but i mean this is hardcore 
pure trail running overdrive. So, and, so uh, you, you get in there is like a wow. This is I mean, it's like over the top. You know they got they give a hundred. There's 369 runners, 67, 69 runners. They give a hundred slots to the elite, the people that are making a living running or the or the invitees. The other 200 and some odd runners come from the lottery. So you've got 300-something runners to run through that all have to go through that process. And it was pleasant. It was steady. It was moving. It was engaging. And yet, I mean, you never felt stalled. You never felt like I'm never going to get through this. I mean, it was like, I mean, they just so fine-tuned it over the 45 years that they've run this thing of recent. And so, I mean, they, you, you ran through that process and then I thought, okay, well, I, I don't have my bib. I don't, I don't have my bib. And they said, oh, you get your bib tomorrow. I thought, oh, what a disaster that's going to be. 369 people trying to get out here to get a bib on race morning. It took about 15 seconds. They were so fine-tuned with the numbers and alphabetically and the people just walked up, boom, you got your your bib, you got everything the way you needed it. And being a hundred yards or so from the, from the start line, I literally went back to the room before the race started and went, you know, got my bib pinned on and did my last little gear check and made sure everything was the way that I liked it. And then we all walked as a group, my pacers and everything. They had to get bibs as well. They got those Mm. the day before. And we all walked to the start line and, uh, they had a little, you know, a few positive words being said, you know, very motivational. And then, you know, there's a countdown. Everybody counts down from 10, and then boom, you're off. Just an incredible experience. Hundreds and hundreds of people on each side at 5 in the morning. The sun has not come up yet. Uh, they're lined up on the side of this mountain. And uh, just an, an awesome start to an awesome time. Before we uh, we go deep on this one, too, uh, just uh... – uh, tell us a little bit more on your training. A lot of uh, you kind of jumped ahead on, on this to get to the start, yeah, to, yeah. To, to line up to the start. You mentioned about your training. Um, some of the listeners would like to know, how did you train for Western State? You know, the terrain, yeah. the weather, you know, the change of weather. Like you said, there's some places you have snow and the other place you are hot. And, you know, <laughs> it's such yeah. a, well, you know, um, well, training. Uh, I personally follow a regimen that uh, I just adapt either from the 50K to the 100 mile. I just use, I have a base running plan, and it's a six days a week of running. Every week there is a speed day. Every week there is a tempo day. Every other week there is a long run. And so... You know, I just start with the race date. I like, for me personally, I like to have about a two-week taper. The three-week drives me insane. So I try to go three, a two-week taper, and uh, and then I just back my those numbers out from there. It's pretty simple to sit down with a blank calendar and back it out. And so I know the day I need to start, and I know the day that I'm going to finish. I mentioned earlier that I have a lot of other things I like to do. So for me personally, um, you know, I don't want to run all the time, all day, every day, and particularly Saturday and Sunday, running all day. So I have found for me that the back-to-back or the back-to-back-to-back or the back-to-back-to-back-to-back, that doing things like that have helped me. I started doing some uh, local gym that started up in town called F45. It's a functional training that's uh, somewhere I would call it a crossover between a CrossFit and and some type of synergistic exercise class. And I started doing that two to three days a week. I would run in the morning, do that in the evening. So I would double up on that. And all the classes are 45 minutes. So I was getting some little strength and cardio in that in a short session. And then I was getting my runs consistently in. I ramped my miles up and on peak week was uh, right at 70 miles. I had a couple of weeks of 60 and a week of 70 but most of the others were in the 40 to 50 miles, as a, just generally speaking. I used a 16-week uh, training plan, which is really long for me personally, but uh, it was really 
I really eased into it for that first four weeks or so. So that wasn't a very big deal. And, uh, you know, I always, I've tried more and more the older I've gotten to pay attention to what I eat, what have you. Now, I'm not one of these people that's counting my macros and every little jot and tittle that I eat, but I do have certain number as far as protein and carbs and fats that I try to eat. And I generally try to stay around that. And then that last 30 days, as you start to really focus on the race, I start really focusing on what I'm eating. And it tends to give me a little more intensity and a little more drive that, you know, hey, we're, we're fine-tuning, we're sharpening the pencil and getting ready you know, getting ready for the big day. Definitely talking about the big day uh, when I'm lined up, getting ready to line up for a big race like this, especially <laughs> so much invested on the event. I uh, tend to back out from doing anything leading up to the race. Uh, were you any concern, worried about in anything injuries-wise or not making it there or anything like that? Because usually that's my one of my biggest worry. So I <laughs> usually like to <laughs> look at it like, okay, now I'm going to stop, stop running and uh, let just whatever place because uh, when I travel so far or getting ready to travel so far i don't want to get injured uh, how how like i said you said two weeks earlier did you start to back out a yeah, little yeah. bit and slow it down how did that work yeah, three weeks out i stopped all of the f40 the, we'll just call it cross training i stopped all the cross training three weeks out i continued to run and then that two weeks out i backed my running back off i think i did about maybe 30 miles that week and then the week of the run I only ran about 15 miles uh, that week leading up. And then I had no, I traveled on Wednesday. I did no running. Thursday, no running. Friday, no running. And then towed the line on Saturday morning. So three days there of nothing. But, you know, some little hiking. We had went to Yosemite. And so that was also part of the plan, too, that I got a little some two and three mile walks in, hikes around, no no giant climbs or anything like that. And those uh, months leading up to to the race, you know, I certainly, uh, I picked some runs to do. I did at least a 50K or 50 mile each month I run, but I didn't try to, you know, break my neck or anything on any of those runs. I tried to treat them as a paid training run and uh, to be out on the trail and, you know, just work on mechanics and things and equipment and what have you, things like that. But, I, you know, I, I made a conscious effort that we weren't going to do anything foolish um, you know, to sustain maybe an injury or something like that with so much on the line. Definitely. Uh, talk about uh, one more thing before we talk about the, the race itself. So tell us about, uh, if, if, was there anything or is there anything you'll change looking back now? You know, you finished the race and, you know, you got the buckle now. Will you change anything or would, would you change anything uh, if you have looked back uh, Looking at your training, you know, preparation leading up to the race, uh, was there anything you wanted to do differently than what, whatever, however you prepare, or, or would you stay the same? You know, for me, I felt 100% more trained than I've ever been. I personally wouldn't change anything. I'm a very stiff individual, and I've always had to battle flexibility. I might work a little bit more on my flexibility because I think that lends to greater speed. Uh, my other thing uh, that uh, mentally took a little bit of toll on me was I had looked at the elevation profile before I went. And, uh, you know, there's three big climbs. Uh, they're both, you know, generally speaking, three miles. Some are a little short of that. Some are a little over. Three big climbs in the run. And I thought, okay, hey, We'll get these three big climbs out of the way, and that'll get us to roughly 55 miles. And then, you know, I looked at the elevation, and I thought, ah, those bunch of little squiggles on there. It didn't look like it was a whole lot. And then I got to the race and got to that point and thought, okay, we can really make some time now. We're on this little easy part, and I'm using some air quotes there. <laughs> and it turned out to be a relentless wave of small but steep climbs. And so, you know, I found myself, I would make really good time on the on the flatter section or on the downhill, and then boom, we'd hit a hill, and next thing you know, we're power hiking again. And, uh, and of course, that, you know, when you averaged it out, kind of zapped your, your overall time. And that was just relentless from that time moving forward. I probably no less than 25 times during the run, 
uh, and I'm generally not a complainer, said, I'm done with these hundred milers. Uh, this is, you know, used a little gentle profanity and uh, said, I'm done with it. These waves of hills, it's ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I, I tried to read as many race reports as I could. And, and uh, Kyle had, had ran, uh, of course, you know, he was just with me with, in one, little, one leg of that latter part. But, you know, he had ran it several years ago, and he had a fair recollection of the race, but he didn't remember everything. I, I probably wouldn't remember any of it. So, you know, maybe he would say, okay, I think we got a little flight section right here, and then we're just going to be downhill. Well, then there'd be a flight section and another hill. <laughs> I think, oh, my goodness, another hill, another hill. And, uh, and that really wore me down. I thought while I was running, and I went even into the race saying, I just want to do this one time, check it off the list, and done. I was so impressed with the run. I loved everything about it, and I cannot wait to be back in the lottery to try to run it again. Now that I know what I know about the race, I'm confident that I could have a far better outcome time-wise. I couldn't have a better time than this year, but just you know, race time, I, I could do it better. Definitely. Yeah, uh, it's it's like uh, sound sounded like it's like a running pinhoti here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If you have never run a pinhoti, you look at this two big mountains that you have to look at. If you look at the profile, it's like, oh yeah, no problem. Then you come here and you try to run that thing, and it's like, yeah, there's a lot more hill than. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 if you and generally, you know, relatively speaking, the second half is easier than the first half. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have three big climbs. It's got a hundred smaller quarter mile climbs half mile you know <laughs> got a lot of those in it uh and it does have some more runnable sections but it does have this relentless wave of smaller hills that if you're not mentally prepared for that it really can wear you down yeah sounds like uh you you're saying that be ready for those smaller hills forget but you know bigger hills we're all ready but yeah, but be, be ready, ready for them definitely yeah yeah in running maybe uh here in, in for our Birmingham terminology, probably run yellow uh, multiple times back and forth, up and down. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, it's uh, you know, it's steep. It's a lot of the, those big climbs are are steep. Uh, switchbacks. Well, the first climb is just straight up. It's up in a, a ski escarpment. Uh, it, it's just a three and a half mile straight as an arrow up and over the mountain. But the, the other big climbs are just numerous switchbacks that are just steadily going up, up, up. That would be the thing. You, you couldn't get enough hill training in and, and not just power hiking, but trying to actually do some running on some of those. I know that's something that I've I've tried to do is become a better hill runner, not just hiker. Can't do enough of that. Definitely. Let's uh, get a little bit more deeper. You you talked uh, already so much about Western State, uh, you know, course and a lot of things about already. Uh, just uh, kind of give us uh, about your overall uh, going from the start to finish. Uh, it's to it's 100 mile. We cannot, you know, we cannot sit here. <laughs> It'll be hours and hours. Oh, sure. So, so talk about that. But give us some um, some of the highlight. I, I know that the, the earlier you talked about the sliding through the ice and snow, I, I know it takes a lot of toll on a lot of people really at the beginning uh, going through the ice because I think Western State does not allow any any kind of pole or anything like that. So give us uh, some, some highlights. So uh, three and a half miles up the ski escarpment, basically in your mind is uh, like where a ski lift was, you just you're going up up something like that. I uh, got up near the top, which it peaks out just a little under nine thousand feet, and uh, you get there. Uh, there's snow that wasn't too bad, really, at that point. The snow was not like our snow, where it was gushy and mushy. Uh, it had a little crust of ice on it. So they actually had had weeks before. Uh, there was uh, they'd send, they'd send you I don't know three or four pre-race updates. And probably three weeks before, they had sent some photos of one of the more popular aid stations called Robinson Flat. It's at the 30-mile mark. Uh, it's This year was the first It's the first spot that your crew can see you. Uh, and uh, they sent some pictures out, and all you could see was the top on the outhouse. The snow was that deep. And, uh, and then they went into a, a 90 to 100 degree. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know that deep, 90 to 100 degree heat wave. 
Wow. And they had sent us notification that they may have to alter the course to go around some of the snow. And uh, so, you know, you've waited all this time to get in. You want to do the real deal run. So, uh, you know, I was hopeful that it would work out. And it did. The snow literally melted about eight feet in sections to where they at least could work it around to where people could get in in and out of the outhouse and what have you. So we, we make the first climb. You go through the snow. I don't know how much people have read about this. We had a, There was a blind runner being led by Scott Jurek. Uh, he was named Kyle Robido. Uh, he got into the snow and had to actually drop at that point. He could just could not be guided through the ice and the snow for fear of safety, and, and he was just so slow to go through it. It was just so tedious moving through that mm-hmm. section. Uh, I actually came into the first aid station a little less than an hour behind what I'd hoped to be because of that. Um, and then you got uh, you know a couple of the big climbs. You come up to 30 miles, and as you're coming down from that higher altitude, the snow begins to go away, and you see a patch here and a patch there, and then you begin to get more into the you're still running on some ridges, but they're lower ridge lines. The snow is gone, and uh, it's just like you went into a different biosphere. It, it's very dry out there uh, during this month, despite all that snow, and uh, it was uh, quite a bit of dust. In fact, that dust took its toll on a, on a handful, more than a handful of people. Uh, you know, you're dirty, your legs are dirty. Uh, but the air is dry, so you you really you're not pouring sweat. You know everything's evaporating, and uh, we we rock on through thirty, and uh, the trails was nice clean single track, and then you I came to realize these sections where you would get a long downhill, and then you would look across and see another ridge top, huh. and you knew it was going to take you right to the bottom, cross a creek. And then right back to the top. And uh, that's where that relentless type thing happened. So that goes through. In in Western states, you can't pick up a pacer until mile 55. If you get in there before 8, you can't have a pacer till 62. If you get into 55 after 8, you can pick your pacer up there. So that's, you can't see anyone for the most part to assist you as far as pacing uh, until those times. This is the first race that I've ever used pacers during the run. I generally run solo. I said before, I'm a middle of the pack guy. And if I'm going to have competition with myself and with other people my age, I just like to pull out the true grit. And when I say that I did the hundred, I did the hundred. This one, as you mentioned earlier, you get in the biggest run of your life and you've got friends flying out and you spend thousands of dollars that you would never spend on a run routinely. It puts a premium on let's get this done and let's make sure it happens. And so, uh, you know, I had the pacers and I was using them and, uh, they, I, I told them, just don't, you know, I don't involve me in your decision making. Just be there when I need you and, and let's get this done. And, uh, and we did, you know, we did that just like clockwork. We worked our way through. All the aid stations are uniform and uh, consistent with what they have. And uh, they were more than plentiful. I, I thought this was kind of a cool thing. Everybody's bib has your name on it. <laughs> and more than one time. I would come into an aid station, and this wasn't every aid station, but most of them, they have so much help uh, that's that's part of this race. You would come in, and they would say, Bo, what do you need? And I'm thinking, like, how, how do I know you? <laughs> how do you know who I am? I, you know, and, they, and the, you know, then I realized later that, you know, hey, my name's on the bib. But they would come in, and one individual would help you. They would get your water, mm-hmm. get your tailwind, get your food, get you situated. You need your shoe tied, something out of your pack. Whatever you needed, they were there to help you, and then they sent you off. Um, a second super cool thing was, you know, there were a lot of elite runners that whatever their circuit or their cycle or their sponsors tell them what they're going to run. So oh, there were a lot of elite runners out on the course. You know, I came through at about mile 70 some odd and Hal Corners at the aid station and he's, hey, Bo, yeah, you're doing great. Patting you on the back and telling me what's up ahead. And, you know, it's just incredible. 
You've got Gordy is out there, the founding runner of this run, making some chiropractic adjustments on people at uh, one of the aid stations. And then at the finish line, he's coming around giving you his just on his own personal congratulations to the run and chit-chatting. It's just Awesome, awesome experience. Uh, the, the run means so much to the people of Auburn, which is where the race ends. As you get into the last 10 miles or so, people are coming from the city. They're starting to get out onto the trails. You come into the last aid station, and, and it actually finishes up on a little road section in a neighborhood. And people are out like a Kentucky Derby party uh, with their tents and their drinks and their chairs out and they know what you've done and they know your pace and they know your time they're invested in this thing and they're cheering you that mile 1.3 miles all the way to the stadium and then you make your lap much like Pinotti inside the stadium to the finish line and it's just you know stadium is full of people it was just an awesome awesome beyond my comprehension experience <laughs> What a way to take take us through start to finish. Uh, well, that's a that's incredible. Sounds like uh, I can't even imagine. You know, for us as a point to point here, uh, like we we've been talking about many many times up in Hody. Uh, sounds like a, it's a similar distance, but a much different experience. Uh, tell us about um, throughout this race. Uh, what is the what was the hardest part for you? You know, going through. You, you mentioned that earlier that you didn't. Uh, get the race that you wanted, but but yeah, you got the buckle. Tell us about it. What what was the hardest part? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, um, I had you know three goals, and I think a lot of people do this. You know, number one, go finish the race, get the buckle. Number two, have a have a realistic uh, pace and uh, time that you think you'll get. And then thirdly, some. Hey, you know, if, if everything went perfect, here's what will happen. You know, that, those kinds of things. Uh, I've yet to have that run in, in the years that I've been running now uh, to where everything happens perfectly. You mentioned something earlier. It never goes perfect. You know, this year had the weather was great, but we had the snow. I got behind on some aid stations, uh, on some cutoffs. And the way that Western States does, like many runs, the aid stations are a little bit tighter in the first half of the race. I think, you know, they know that everyone's not going to make it. And so gently, they they respect the effort that everyone's made to get there, and they want you to have a great experience. But they have to be safe, and there has to be an end to everything. And so the the cutoffs are a little bit tight till you get to 55 or so miles. And so you know you really gotta you gotta stay ahead of it. And once I got behind, I I was running about 30 40 minutes ahead of cutoffs. Uh, I'd hoped to be hours ahead of cutoffs. And so, you know, fiddling with some of those things that didn't go right and iPod, I'd wore, I had a plan to change shoes at 30 miles. I'd wore some shoes that were about a half size smaller than I normally wear. I had ran in them in a 50K and a 50 mile. So it wasn't like I just took them out of the box, but uh, I had not run a hundred miles in them. Mm-hmm. And so I get to my 55 and I pick up some pacer. And I want to change shoes. And, the, and, of course, they're concerned for me, like, hey, I, I don't want to cut this thing too close. Let's go. Let's go. And I don't want to be argumentative. I'm tired. My feet, though, were trashed. And I could tell that, you know, I was having some – my toes had been hitting the end. And I, I knew that feeling that there was going to be some toenail loss. And so I was beginning to get some hot spots. And I made that mistake, rookie mistake. I should have just wore shoes that I knew I could make the whole time or taken the five minutes to fix the problem. That's something that <laughs> really tried to work on as I've gotten more experienced, even though I didn't do it, is when you realize there's a problem, take the time and fix it before it becomes a real problem. Hot spot on your feet, blister, chafing, whatever the case may be. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. So you, it's best to just take the time and get it right. So those little things added up and, you know, just nickel and dime my time. And then by the end, my feet was just sore. The steep downhills, which I normally do best on, I was, you know, it's like walking on glass. So that really was a painful experience. And so, you know, those few little things I learned from that, I knew better. I should have just done it, didn't. And, you know, I'll know next time. That won't ever happen 
to me again. Well, that's what you say now, but... <laughs> well, there'll be something else, you know. Yeah, there'll be something else. Yeah, one thing I definitely like to point out to our listener, if you haven't done 100 or you've done 100, but you still don't, don't know, you know, like what Bo said, when things start going bad, you'll go bad. You you rather try to fix it before it gets too bad. You know, um, you know, I had that problem, the safing issue, 2017 Penhody, and it got bad to worse to virtually I could could not move. And mm-hmm. I, that wasn't like my first time I ever had that kind of issue. I mean, now I know how to deal with it, but still, man, that's difficult once you go downhill and you still have miles and miles to go you know so so it's, it's, it sounds like a very painful experience so so talk about uh, also uh, you know on the course uh, uh, your your diet uh, your food intake how was how's like in, in in the western state whenever you you said the, the a station are fully stocked uh, tell us about a little bit about the a station experience there yeah you know it was, it was awesome you know i mentioned the personalized service at most of the aid stations uh, not all of them some of the aid stations you know would go like i said the first big aid station uh, there was a smaller one in between but you'd go seven five seven miles pretty consistently between aid stations and seven miles is not that big a deal unless one of those three and a half mile hills is in there and you're power hiking for an hour doing that uh, that can end you know then you get up and you've got three and a half miles to run uh, i personally use tailwind and i uh, carry tailwind in one bottle a 15 ounce bottle and water in the other and so i personally like to drink i'm a fast enough runner that i can get you know, five, six miles in an hour if I don't have a three and a half mile hill to power hike up. Hmm. So, uh, you know, there was, um, you know, I really had to stretch some things as far as that was, that was concerned, but it really didn't bother me. I, you know, I'm not so hung up on being that I have to have every little drop uh, and every little crumb of, of nutrition in those little times. Another one of those things, like you were saying, that it's, it's not going to be perfect. Your timing is not going to be exact. You're not going to roll in there at every aid station and you've just taken that last sip of, of your nutrition, which using the tailwind is where I get most of my that and I use scratch, I choose. And uh, I pretty much eat very little at the aid station, if anything. If I see something that I like, I'll get it. But they would have your variety of fruits and they would have some vegetarian options, and they would have uh, your usual M&M's, gummies, pretzels, uh, peanut butter, uh, boiled potato, salt, pickles, pickle juice, uh, Coke, real Coke, not, you know, Czech Cola, real Mountain Dew, not uh, Lightning or whatever it is. Uh, And they would have Red Bull, and they would have ginger ale, and they would be just lined up in a row like race cups at the bar. This is kind of a silly little thing that I don't know why more runs don't do this. But, uh, you know, you hear about cupless races. They said this is a cupless race. So I had my little collapsible cup with me. I was prepared to do it. But every aid station, what they did is had little six-ounce juice cups, hard plastic. The runner would get the drink out of the cup. Now, you couldn't walk down the trail with it. But you would get your cup, take your drink. And then they had a sterilizing solution. They would just swish your cup in, rinse it in some water, dry it out. And they were just recycling those cups all day mm, long. That's how so you, so you didn't have any trash to pick up as far as cups were concerned. And yet every runner had a nice steady cup to drink out of. And now you could sit there and refill your cup as many times as you wanted. You just couldn't walk down the trail with it. Got it. Uh, that was kind of a cool, neat thing. That That's was, a little you know, thing, you know, that little thing. A little thing that, uh, you know, I talked to Kyle about that. Says, you know, Butts needs to explore that in some of their runs because it's very effective getting trash on the trails and things like that. But those aid stations were very consistent like that, water, and, uh, and uh, I think they had Goo Brew was their drink at this particular race and uh maybe they had some tailwind at some uh, i carry tailwind so it didn't matter to me um this happens to a lot of people about approaching 50 miles always was just rocking along just fine and then suddenly i thought if i have to take another sip of tailwind i'm going to throw up <laughs> and the more i thought about it not even drinking it i i started getting the dry heaves and uh 
Once that passed, which was very quickly, just a short stop on the side of the trail, I felt immediately fine. And for the next 50-ish miles, I just said, I'm not going to drink any tailwind. I can't, I can't go through that. My stomach felt fine, but it was literally just the thought of anything. And I love tailwind, and I'll continue to use it. But on that particular race, I just couldn't stand the thought of another electrolyte drink. And so every aid station I had, one of those cups of Mountain Dew and one cup of, of uh, Red Bull. And that's all I had for the last 50 miles. And I had no problem whatsoever. Well, <laughs> you were trained through it and uh, with the one thing and then you end up in a race and then you had a switch bag and t- yeah, t- yeah. trying to eat. It's just part of running 100. Um, I've been through too many problems lately. So like I mentioned earlier. So, uh, But let's, uh, let's talk about uh, also... I was thinking your last few miles, and you went through day and night. Uh, your legs are trashed. Uh, now you're trying to get closer to closer finishes. Was there any doubt for you that you're not going to make it? or I, You know, I have a lot of confidence in myself, and I knew my time was not what I wanted, but there was never a doubt that I was not going to finish. There was just too much on the line, you know. I go back to, uh, and I've never felt this in a run before, but, you know, I've not sat down with a pen and paper and calculated the amount of money that I spent to go do the run. You know, it's one thing when you're sitting around after a run or you're at the brewery, hey, I want to go to Western States, I want to go to Hard Rock, I want to go to wherever. Uh, And then, you know, for me and my wife, it's you know eight hundred dollars for airfare. It's three fifty for a rental car. It's four hundred dollars for fuel during that time. It's over a thousand dollars for Airbnb and the and the and the Squaw Valley. It's three sixty five to get in the run. You know we haven't eaten a thing at that point. And then you've got Pacers and you're trying to buy them beer. You're trying to buy them food. Uh, you're trying to do you know you can drop four or five grand at the drop of a hat. You don't think about those things when you think about these big runs, but that is the way that it is. And, you know, then you find yourself, hey, I'm at Western States. Uh, Man, I got to have a $50 shirt and a $80 hoodie. Definitely. I should do this because I'm never going to do this. I may never get back here again. And so then you start buying, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of of things, you know, mementos to mark the occasion. And so, you know, you easily can spend – Three to five thousand dollars, easily. Easily, yeah. You know, you have a few nice meals to celebrate, and a few extra beers, and uh, you know, it's it's a it's a big consideration. It's something that you know, it's easy to hit that button on on, on ultra sign up. Say, hey, yeah, I'm in the lottery. When that when your name gets pulled, though, it, it, the rubber meets the road. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we work hard to to get get to get that lottery and have a chance of. Winning the lottery, but this time you you definitely have to investment. It's a once in a lifetime investment for a lot of us. It is. You know? So it's and, it's. it's and let me say, I'm not bad mouthing it at all. It was worth every yeah. penny. Yeah. Every. Yeah. The, the the I think I think the problem the stress where it comes from is if you don't finish it, then you got to come home empty handed, and um and that's a that's usually the stress, I guess. Uh, I've never one of the thing I mentioned in, in several other podcasts that I've never traveled far away to run uh, any ultra distance race. And farthest I have done is Georgia, so some um, I don't. <laughs> I've I've traveled to around the world almost now to run a marathon, um, but but not not for ultra distance race. Don't know why, but but that's that may be the reason why I have. I, have, I think one of the, my biggest problems is, and uh, I think we can talk about that too. Uh, you know, after the race, you know, it's like how you know it's I can barely move to come from Lake Martin or Pinhody uh, from Silicago to Birmingham. You know. Uh, Lake Martin to Birmingham or, you know, my house uh, coming across the country, you know, going going places. That's kind of it's hard for me to think. Um, but let's just uh, talk about your uh, the last few miles uh, coming to the coming to finish line and holding that buckle. Let's talk about that. Your whole well, experience. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I mentioned I had three pacers, uh, Michael, uh, Michael Atkins, John Gregg and Kyle Sticknoth. Well, well, Michael did the first six or seven miles and then. And then he did the last six or seven miles. And Michael's a young runner that uh, I guess maybe two, three years ago tops 
uh, went out with John Gregg and was going to just on a whim pace him for 30 miles at the I Am Tough. And then now he has uh, fell in love with trail running. He's an excellent trail runner. He lives out in Boulder uh, from Birmingham, moved there back here. Uh, he was so excited for me. You know, that's just the kind of friendships that come out of this kind of thing. Uh, you know, I was excited. He was excited. We were both excited. And he's he's telling me, man, you're going to get the buckle. We got it made. It's in the bank. We, we, you cross this section called No Hands Bridge. And that's where the people of, you know, start having reasonable access that they could hike to there and walk from there from their car. Because it's only maybe a little over a mile up to that last aid station and uh and then you know of course there's a climb up to that aid station and uh, you get up that little short climb you can hear them the bells ringing and the clanging and the cowbells and whooping and hollering and you get up to there and of course at that point you know there's a mile 1.3 1.2 miles to go i didn't even need to stop and you know everybody's high-fiving you and patting you on your back and they know you've made it and, and then i thought this is so fitting for the race so i had told michael you know i, I didn't have a problem i mentioned that the, the sore feet and the, and the downhill really killed me but on the flat and on the other parts, I really could run pretty good. In fact, I look back at my Strava data, you know, and I had some nine-minute miles, you know, in mm. the plus 90 mark. And uh, and I was, you know, I felt pretty good on the flat stuff. I just couldn't do the downhill things. And then the power hiking, I'm really tired. And so I told him, I said, when we get to the pavement, uh, I had heard, you know, you'll be on the pavement and it's just going to drop right off the hill down to the stadium. And so we hit the pavement. We are up a little hill. And it starts to drop down. So as we're going up there, I said, look, we're just going to get to the top of this hill and we're going to start chugging and we're going to go as fast as we can get to. It'll be like NASCAR. It may take a little bit to get up to full speed, but we're going to come into that stadium, you know, on fire. Well, we hit the top of the hill and we start chug, chug, chugging down. And I look ahead and I think, hmm, I know it's like a turn just ahead. And we get ahead of steam up, and I turn, and dang it, if there's not another hill. <laughs> and so, <laughs> oh, man, a little more profanity. And then we hike. I said, let's just hike up this hill. This surely is the last one. We hike to the top, and then, of course, the people are saying, it's straight downhill to the thing, to the finish line. And I actually could see the corner of the football stadium so i literally did know at that point that we were at the end and we did just that we just started going downhill trying to get as much speed as possible and we ran right into the stadium and again you know this this half of the stadium they actually were renovated normally you come into the stadium and do just like pinotti do a, do a little lap and then finish they were resurfacing the inside of the football field so part of the track was not accessible. So you actually had to go down the track and then loop back up and come around. Uh, So slightly different configuration with a normal finish at the same spot. And so we went down into that turnaround, you know, wide open. And then I was able to maintain at that point, you know, you're all, the pressure is completely off. You know, you've done it. My wife was waiting at the finish and I'd not got to see her very much during the run because of the pacing and everything else. And uh, so she was a welcome sight. She had been a big part of everything. And she knew what all I had went through in the training. And, uh, you know, Kyle and them are filming me running down the side of that last stretch. And everybody was just elated and high-fiving and patting me on the back. It's just an awesome, awesome experience. Yeah, it sounds like you had a great finish, uh, strong finish, that's what we like to say. Uh, did you get to jump at the end? Or? I didn't do any of the patent sidekick, just a plain old <laughs> jump across the finish. Yeah. And, and it had begun to get pretty warm at that time. It's probably, up, I don't know, about 80 degrees, and I was just looking for some shade. I found the first spot that I thought I wouldn't get stepped on that was in the shade and laid down and got all that gear off took my shoes off, let my poor feet get some air. <laughs> Got a funny story. So a lot of medical people there, and you know, whether you legitimately need it, they, they ask you, you know, are you okay? Do you need anything? What have you? I said, no, I'm fine. I just want to rest here. And 
and uh, my wife had come out to the track and so I just want to rest. And so will you come over here and get in the shade? Said, uh, you know, of course, John Greg and all of them are, are there. And the, they say, well, uh, you just come, uh, you just lay down in the medical tent. And so my concerned pacers say, no, you're not going to take him to the hospital, are you? We got beer to drink tonight. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they said, no, we're not taking him to the hospital. And so I said, okay, well, that's cool. I'll go lay down in the medical tent. So went and laid down on a cot. And uh, well, it was great. Uh, you know, I could just lay in there and, and get little kids are running around there with ice cream and popsicles and what have you. And so got a little physician care on my feet while I ate a drumstick and looking at that buckle. And uh, you get a little finisher award uh, to go around your neck. And so that was cool. And then uh, and then everybody gets in a, under a giant like a, a revival tent and everybody from the beginning to the end. They call your name, you come down, and uh, in that lag time, as the f- people have finished, they get your buckle. They're all the buckles, the 367 buckles are on boards under this tent, and your name has been engraved on the back, customized uh, date on it. Hmm. And so they start at the top and call everybody, here's so-and-so from this town, and you come down and everybody from from Jim Wamsley to the last person to cross the line is cheering people on all the way to the end. Wow. So it was really uh, just, I, I hate to use the word repetitively, but I don't know what's better than awesome. It's just an incredible, incredible experience that I wish everyone could experience. I'm ready to be back in the mix to do it again. Definitely sounds like a great experience and a, and a great uh Great achievement itself. Thinking about uh, for you uh, to top it off, uh, what are we discussing right now? Tell us about one experience you had that's awesome, that, that changed, you felt like you things changed in your mind totally about running ultra, being being where you are now, uh, you know, maybe crossing the finish line, maybe holding that buckle, uh, maybe middle of the night, something something that triggered you saying, wow, this is who I am. Can you give us some experience? You know, a lot of people say that this race doesn't start till uh, Michigan Bluff or Forest Hill, which is some of those later where you can pick up the pacers. Uh, I think when I got to 30 miles and when I got to the 30-mile mark and I was not really where I wanted to be, but I was ahead of enough and I had enough confidence in myself. I thought, you know, I'm going to do this and and I'm going to get done with this. And this is a killer experience. And it's going to, I just knew at that point it was going to work, you know, but it was about also at that point that I said, we better, you know, I don't know about uh, goal B and C happening, but this first goal of finishing is going to happen. Uh, It just, I don't know at that point, I just knew, I just felt it at that time, you know, that's the first time I could see the wife and the crew and, and, uh, you know, watching the watch and just knew that it was, it was going to happen, you know, being in that element and uh, you could see, you already had felt the uh, streamline effectiveness and efficiency of the race and the support of all the people, Uh, you know. I felt like I might, if I didn't finish, I may let down people I didn't even know. Uh, <laughs> you know, they kind of make you feel like you really are an elite person. I know I'm not. Just saying that, just the feeling just of the, the feeling. Definitely. It made you feel important, even yeah. if you were the last person that finished on that. You felt, even if you didn't finish, just being there, you you felt like you. You know, you had really made an achievement just in, and then they made that point in several of the of the speeches that you heard and things like that that were said at different times. Just being there was an accomplishment. And I think, you know, maybe for the first time it really soaked in. That's true. Doing what I had to do to get there, all those people that do what they had to do to get to that point, that is an accomplishment in and of itself. Definitely. Sounds like a reward for all your hard work. To be ultra runner, uh, al- almost like what we say whenever we run at Boston, it's like a it's a victory lap for everything we have done. To, Absolutely. Yeah, done to get to Boston lineup for that and get the Boston medals. So I think it's a similar feeling in a different magnitude or different uh, different place. And yeah. but definitely sounds like a great experience. Uh, uh, but it sounds like you had a great experience. Um, before we close this interview, we talked so much that I felt like we can go 
further, forever. <laughs> Before we close this interview, give us a words of advice to all the listener. I think you mentioned that several times as well. Uh, give us words of advice to uh, don't give a hope of uh, one day to qualify and your name getting picked up to go to Western State, continue running those races and have a dream and about running the Western State. Give us those words of advice. Uh, well, you know, certainly if uh, if running Western States or Hard Rock is, is on your list, uh, certainly continue to look at the list. The list is not always the same. The list does rotate from year to year. And if you go to their website, you can see each year some races fall off, new races come about, and they apply for for to be a qualifier because that's obviously a selling point as a race director. So stay on top of that. What I have done is, is try to identify, because there's only six or seven of them, uh, races that are dual qualifiers so you can run one run and qualify for both hard rock and western states that's a smart thing to do particularly if you're going to be traveling somewhere uh, that's just kind of a no-brainer uh rather than have to run two 100s you may can run one and not you know get two birds with one stone but i also said this uh, earlier you know if you if things are going to go wrong and uh, you know before something becomes an issue you take care of it whatever that is chafing equipment clothing, I don't know, whatever it may be, uh, check it out. Make sure that it's all all the way that it needs to be uh, before you tow that line. Thirdly, probably maybe before that last point, you know, whatever plan, you know, there's different plans for different people. Uh, I, I'm a certified run coach, and I've been to some of those classes and are to the classes to, to get that certification. And, you know, one of the things you learn in that, there's no one plan that works for everyone. You got to do what's right for you. If you don't know what to do, get get a run coach. Get uh, Go online. Find a proven program that people have used for the 50K, the 100 mile, the 50 mile, whatever it is that you want to do. You can do it if you want to. Most of it's in your mind. If you physically train for it, the rest is all mental. Uh, if you have a desire to do it, you'll do it. Most people don't want to do 100 miles. You know, they think you're crazy. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's probably some truth to that. But uh, if you want to do it, uh, find a plan, believe in your plan, and follow the plan. And then that gives you the confidence, in my opinion, to go to these races, wherever it is, and to know I've done my part. I've done my training. And then rely on your training to get you to the point, to the to the end. You know, be smart in your running. You know, the old adage, you know, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Well, this is four marathons. So... Uh, you need to really pace yourself and not going out of the gate too fast. That's never more important than in a hundred miler. Because uh, in the middle of the night, you, you, I think everyone has thoughts of their friends who are snuggled up in a warm bed somewhere while you're out running around keeping your eye open for a cougar or a bear to bite your leg off and think, why am I out here? Uh, so, you know, get a plan. Get a coach, find something that's proven, stick with it, make adjustments when it's necessary, uh, trust yourself. You can do it. I mean, you can do it if you put your mind to it. Definitely. Sounds like great words of advice. Uh, so much deep in that. Uh, if you just listen to what Bo just said, uh, that's a pretty much what 100 mile or <laughs> most of us think about. Uh, some of the things like, you know, once you line up, keep moving forward, don't give up uh, too quickly, you know, because, uh, you know, running 100 mile is uh, not easy, but it's doable. So definitely, uh, thanks for your time, Bo. Um, I had a great time uh, talking to you, listening to your journey. Uh, like I mentioned a minute, minute ago, that we could we could talk forever. So thanks for your time, and uh, we'll, we'll hope to hear more of your running running story. And good luck for you going back to awesome. Western State next year. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emran's Podcast. Please visit emrans.com to listen to our previous podcast episodes, links to our social media channels, get race photos, get discount codes, and more.